Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska named three bands that aren't the boss tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 8. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of Ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network. Journey through the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year? That matter. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corder. Oh, it gets closer and closer. The days getting longer and longer. Bonnaroo 2019. How many days away, Barry Corder? We are well under 60. 60 days? Under yeah, 60 days? Absolutely. Oh my goodness, it is getting closer and closer. That's Barry Corder from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. I'm Brad Steiner from Hits 96 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right down the road from Manchester. This year's uh, Bonnaroo festivities, when we start looking around, um, we're going to be right up on it. I mean, you give, oh, you give me about an hour and I'm going to start panicking. I, yeah, I'm already having the night sweats. Are you? Yeah, I always do. Every year at this I'm time. I'm having the Keith sweats. It's very strange. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I start thinking about the heat and just the excitement and and everything and what to bring, what not to bring. Do you know I had this moment every every year before Bonnaroo, I say to myself, you know what? I'm actually excited for the heat. <laughs> and then I realize what a stupid, yeah, that's just foolish thing ignorant. to say. <laughs> that's just ignorant. You just say that was, was ignorant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is. It is the dumbest thing that I wish for. But like, there's some days, like the like yesterday, I was out in the yard and and it was really cool and yeah, and I, it was it was a beautiful day in Chattanooga and uh, I just said to myself while wearing a hoodie doing yard work, like you know, I could do some heat right now. Yeah, yeah, it's when it's when it's uh, you know 85 degrees at 2 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> that's the part that panics me. Uh, you know, it is it is really strange that. Uh, the nights at Bonnaroo are so comfortable. Yeah. They're so nice. They're so lovely. So long as it's not raining and so long as we haven't, we don't have like a, a massive like heat wave go through, the nights are unbelievable. And frankly, you can get a little chilly at night. Lately. Isn't that weird? Yeah. What? The first 10 years. There was no let up. There was no let up. I mean, it was brutal. And then what? Five, six years ago, had to actually go scramble to find clothing, you know, get us sweatshirt or something yeah you're notoriously under a blanket at camp most uh most every night yeah well that but i mean it got cold well that and you're an old lady it's okay. <laughs> maybe my shawl i had to go find my shawl <laughs> so uh today's gonna be a very uh, odd episode and i don't really know how to uh package it i don't really know how to explain it we're going to sort of go in all different directions. It's sort of like a grab bag today. We got the chance to talk to a, a member from Illiterate Light. Illiterate Light appearing at Bonnaroo. They were added to the festival when they did the, the cafe and, and Who Stage Edition. So, yeah, that's very exciting. We get to talk to another Bonnaroo first-timer right. coming up. And I love his story because he talks about how he went to Bonnaroo and that sort of was an artistic moment for him and how he wanted to get back to Bonnaroo to play, and now he is. Right. Um, so Illiterate Light coming up a little bit later on in the show. Plus, uh, we're talking to a listener today. Yeah, Celeste. Celeste. From just down the road in Columbus, Georgia. Okay, and we uh, have... Uh, she's a group camper. Is she? In fact, I think it's kind of cool she's started going in group and because of the way they do it if you don't meet the minimum 24 people uh, sometimes they will come 
combine, you know, maybe two groups of 12 or whatever the number. And uh, she's become really good friends with uh, the people that she met. Yeah. And it's that's we just a, hearing that more and more. It's the perfect Bonnaroo story. It really is. And she, she even says a little bit later, you'll hear, she says, you know, I go for the camping. I go for the group, which is essentially yeah, yeah, that was our headliners as well. That was interesting to hear. Now, we, we talked to her for a specific reason. First, we like talking to fellow Bonnaroovians, but we've got some news to share with her coming up a little bit later. You know, when we start talking about Bonnaroo, we talk a lot about the nuts and the bolts. We sort of lose ourselves in the, the, the minutia of the whole thing, how it's put together, where it's come from, how it's grown, and the behemoth that it is now to a place where, you know, running water and bathrooms and stuff like that. When we started talking about that and we got deep with Ashley Caps last year and we got deep with Jeff Quayar, it started turning our wheels about other festivals and their perceptive, their perceptions and how they build their festival and how they uh, operate almost in a completely, in the same world, in the same universe, right. in the same festival space, but in a completely different way. Uh, and one of those festivals is one that's right here in town called Moon River. Absolutely. And it's interesting. Uh, it moved here. It was started in Memphis, and we'll hear uh, co-founder Drew Holcomb explain that basically he just wanted to have a big party for his friends, right? play some music, and it, it outgrew that, and then it's grown into this giant thing, and he reached out to AC Entertainment, uh, the same folks that co-produce Bonnaroo. What was interesting to me about that is um, it's a curated. I mean, this is how the industry is sort of grown. Bonnaroo, remember 2002 comes out. It's this giant 80,000 people sold out. It's supposedly this jam band festival. It's developed as we talk every single week here. And now you've got these smaller curated or boutique. You you say, you say curated. I say artisanal. Artisanal. I like that. A boutique. (laughs) Uh, They're just smaller versions uh, where the bands are a little bit more in the same lanes as as we've learned to say it. A very limited number, 10,000 people in this one. That's what they want. Yeah. And it still, to me, is is fascinating to listen to Drew Holcomb. Our guest, our first guest is Drew Holcomb, who uh, has put on this this Moon River Festival. It's fascinating to me hearing him talk about how much work it still is. What a massive operation just a 10,000 person festival, a two day festival is as compared to Bonnaroo. It puts, it puts Bonnaroo in such a great perspective. When you, when you, when you have somebody who's started a festival and it's grown it and it's really maxed out at 10,000 and it's, all he does, and it was so much of his workload, he had to give it to somebody else who right. professionally runs these things. It just goes to show you how massive of an operation Bonnaroo is. It, I love his stories uh, about the things that they forgot or didn't plan for the yeah. first year. You guys will hear that. That's I love it. Funny. I really, I really like this uh, conversation a lot. Drew Holcomb from Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors on the What Podcast. We talk mostly about Bonnaroo, but... We want to branch out and talk other festivals. And I thought, how about a guy who started his own festival? Wow. Uh, okay, right. let me guess. Let me guess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and guess who you're talking about. All right. All right. You ready? <laughs> is it Gary Forecastle? <laughs> no? no? That's not him? Is it uh, Doug Firefly? No. No? Okay. I got it. I got it. Lenny Lollapalooza. You're getting close. Am I? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Drew Holcomb, uh, Moon River, you started, are we five years ago now? Yeah, I guess it'll be six. Uh, this will be the fifth festival, and we took a year off. Yeah, we, that, that makes this the, the sixth year. Wow. Right. And it's to me, it's interesting for several reasons. One, you started a festival. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Yeah. 
Yeah, sure. It grew so big that you had to move it from Memphis, where it started, and you've moved it to Chattanooga, so it's in our backyard. But also, it's a, what are we still calling them, boutique festivals, Drew? I guess so, yeah. That seems, that seems appropriate. I mean, you know, on the on the logistical side, getting, you know, 10,000 people together doesn't seem very boutique but when you compare it to, you know, Bonnaroo right. and uh, places like that, then, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's boutique relative to scale. I mean, it, you might say 10,000 people, but, I mean, don't sneeze at it. It's a lot of work. I mean, that's still <laughs> a, a lot of... It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Curated is maybe a better word than boutique. I've heard both of them uh, related, yeah. and, and it's... Correct me if I'm wrong, they are sort of a reaction or an offshoot, maybe is a better of... Festivals like Bonnaroo and Lollapalooza, where they they are smaller and they're more site specific and curated. Yeah, they're a little more they're a little more sort of site site specific, a little more genre tight. And I think they more than anything, I think they take the the pros of the festival experience and try to trim away some of the cons. You know, I mean, like I meet people all the time who you know when they were. In their twenties, they are teens. Twenties, they love going to you know Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza. But as people get older and start to have kids and, you know, the idea of going camping for three days in the June heat, it doesn't appeal to everybody. You know, going to Chattanooga or Louisville or some of these other, you know, Charleston, you know, making a, a vacation out of it, going to a city that you're not just experiencing, you know, the festival on the grounds. You're also kind of experiencing the the location and you know, you don't have to sleep in a tent. You can sleep in a hotel or rent a house or whatever. So, so, so the there's so many the the basics: the who, what, when, where, and why. I want to start with why'd you do it in the first place? Because uh, you seem to have a, a pretty good thing going with your music career. Why all of a sudden dip a toe into the festival world? Well, I, I think initially I didn't know that it was going to grow to what it has, and it was actually just a way to throw a multi-band one-day event in my hometown and to you know, convince people to come check out my hometown of Memphis mm-hmm. and then also, you know, get these bands that I've met together for a day and not only play music and share the stage, but also share the backstage experience and right. get to know each other. That's one of my favorite things about festivals. You know, you're an artist and you're out there touring all the time. You're not necessarily meeting a lot of other artists because sure. you're, you know, you're, you're doing your thing. And so at festival, that's where you can really, you know, meet a bunch of people and watch your heroes play and, here, up and coming bands, and so I, I just thought I'm going to do that on a very small scale to my fans and our people, and it went really well, and it sort of grew organically out of that. That's awesome, and that's where you hope all great ideas you sort of really are birthed from is from. Yeah, let's just do this with our friends. Yeah, you know, it's it's really right, we're right. all probably every bar you go to, it started with oh yeah, just me and my buddies wanted to open a bar. Let's get a, b- a barn and some costumes and throw a party. Yeah. So, and <laughs> how many people were there? What were the artists that you uh, you supplemented the lineup with? How did it go that first year? First year, yeah, we probably had two thousand people there. Huh? Uh, it was us. It was Judah and the Lion. Before they were, they were very much like a very new baby band. Uh, we had Will Hogue, one of my favorite Nashville songwriters. We had Holly Williams, um, another great songwriter. We had the Dirty Governors, which is sort of a there, that's a party Stones-esque Tennessee that's, party band. Sure, yeah, that was sort of the the crux of the lineup that first year. Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good for your first first try at it. Uh, they were all friends, you know. They're all yeah. people that I knew and had toured before, so it was a 
it was kind of an easy ask. That's one of the things that I, I've noticed in you know my job at the paper is talking to not just festivals, but some of these bigger tours like Winter Jam and whatnot. There, it's a it's a intentional thing by the organizers to put people together that they like. Yeah. Because they, right. they say, right. we're going to be on the road together for X number of days. We might as well hang out together. We want our kids to hang out together, the roadie, you know, everybody, um, and then have a good time on stage as well. So yeah, that, that makes sense. The other connection to Moon River and Bonnaroo is once the event in Memphis got big, you decided you needed help, right? So you reached out to AC Entertainment. Yeah, that's right. So AC have been friends of ours for a long time. They've always promoted a lot of different shows for us. Uh, Knoxville, you know, at the Bijou Theater and Orange Peel in Asheville and Track 29 in Chattanooga. And so I have a lot of friends in that company and I love the way they do business. And so we started telling them about what we were doing and how it was going, but some of the, the obstacles we were facing and they seemed very interested in, in potentially partnering together, but it seemed like a, a potential move was on the table in that, in that conversation. And so we started conversations with various people in different cities and Chattanooga seemed the most receptive to the vision yeah. and, 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 and really more than anything had a location that seemed like a perfect match with yeah. Village Park. Yeah, the, the park so. is unbelievable and you guys did a great job curating it. But back to a word that you just said, you come up with this idea, it probably uh, gets a little bit out of your control because it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, budgets get bigger. You said the word obstacles. What were some of the obstacles yeah. that you needed their help with? Well, the biggest one is that my, my manager and I were, t- were completely uh, the only sort of money risk takers involved. Yeah. Neither neither he nor I are in a uh, sort of position to be taking that sort of risk. Right. Um, and so, you know, as we get close to the event and look at the weather forecast, and I are, you know, sweating bullets hoping that the event happens and that we're not, you know, taking our cars to auction after the festival, you know. <laughs> yeah. You um, hope it's I mean, just cars. Thinking, but there's certainly that sort of, that sort of risk. What will you, you know? give me for um, a rotary girder? Uh, <laughs> yeah, can I exactly. book for that? <laughs> So, I mean, so, you know, the financial risk was, was getting beyond what we were comfortable with. And then, you know, as it grew in size, we were spending a lot more time on it uh, than we're sort of suited for. I mean, you know, you're, when you look at a festival, you you see the music and you see the food and see people having fun. What you can see is the security. You don't see the conversations with the companies that bring in porta potties. You don't, right. you know, water, uh, Insurance you know, companies, in, insurance, right. yeah, the weather weather service, fencing, you got to pay for. I mean, it's like literally just hundreds of things you don't think about. And we were just, uh, we were doing it, and it was going well. But we were, it was, you know, you talked about earlier, you know, your career was going well. Why get in the festival business? We started asking ourselves that same question. Like, we still got a regular. I got to make records and record songs and go on tours and. Right. I need I need Paul, my manager, to be managing that, and so yeah, it's uh, sort of like the day that you decide, yeah, I can build this garage in the back of the yard, right. and then you decide right. I can build a house, uh, actually, and then it's more like a right. kitchen or bathroom. Yeah. Now you've ripped the plumbing out. Right. <laughs> Maybe I should hire a general contractor just in case I need somebody to to take control yeah, of this exactly, thing. Exactly, that's exactly right. You know, your amb- our ambition sort of got the best of. It's funny because you have a dream and it comes true. And then you realize you actually have to sort of execute and manage the dream, and, and that can become a nightmare. Well, that's know? but see, that was the the choice that you had to make. You had to go from maybe two thousand, three, four, five thousand people to an actual big time thing. 
uh, and which is going to cost right. you more money. It's going to cost you more time. It's going to cost you more risk. But was there a conversation that you had with maybe whoever else that was operating with you to just keep it where it was? Just like, okay, let's just keep it at 2,500. Let's just keep it at 5,000 people. Let's not take any more risk and keep it teeny tiny and not try to make it a bigger event. Oh, yeah, we certainly had that conversation. And, you know, that was sort of the other option. And and, uh, we took a year off to kind of even have that conversation over a long period of time because we were kind of exhausted. And I also went through some health stuff uh, right after the third year where I was in the hospital for two weeks in December with um, meningitis. And so I, I just couldn't couldn't physically get it done the next year. And so that gave us a chance to kind of ask those big philosophical questions. Gotcha. But we were really proud of what we built. We really didn't want to see it, you know, go away or just become like kind of revert back to the year one model. But we just, the, the middle ground was, was almost just as much work as the small version. We kind of really wanted to find somebody to, 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 to grab a hold of it and run with it and let us just be kind of a part of the team and not gotcha. be directing the team. Yeah. That was the other thing I wanted to ask because you and I have talked a couple of times and I remember standing with you, I think the Saturday night when it was here um, and then we talked again. You had to also consciously give up control, right? I mean, it, it, we talk, we laugh sure. because Ellie, your wife, had a baby that same weekend so you know we made or i did i guess made the analogy of you birthed the festival and and a a child so i mean you basically had to give up you know this uh this event give over control right what was that like yeah well on the one hand it was it was frightening you know uh because you got this creative vision that you want to make sure is, is well cared for uh, but then at the same time, all the other like obstacles like we've discussed, it was incredibly like tons of relief to hand those over to, to AC. You know, they're professionals at managing all of these kinds of things. So thankfully, the, sort of the, my role now is really curating with you know the the lineup and then really being sort of a host on the ground and yeah, the fun stuff, for the, the fun festival. stuff, yeah, yeah, all the stuff that I really wanted to do in the first place. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Um, so it's let, been awesome. Let me the and, and this is also important. It goes back to the whole curating thing and why you are here and why you chose Chattanooga from what you and and the guys at AC told me. As you said, and and forgive the long question, but Brad had, had er, said earlier in another podcast that some festivals just kind of get the equipment, get the band, show up, and then a field, mm. take your money and go home. Right. Uh, hey, we built a stage. We got some equipment. We got some bands. Welcome to our festival. Welcome to our festival. Yeah. And, and Drew, you specifically told me that was not what you wanted. You wanted people to come uh, in a in a unique place, which ours is. It's right on the river, surrounded by businesses. You wanted those businesses to feel they were part of it. You wanted people coming from out of town to see this city. And, and I'm I'm putting a lot of words in your mouth, but talk about that. That to me is as much the curated part of it as you know, the eight or 10 acts on the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly our, our hope and vision is that it doesn't feel just like uh, a transaction. You know, we provide music and people give us money to come and listen to that music. You know, we really wanted to feel like there's a community. And so my favorite example from this year in Chattanooga was we found out after the festival that there was this Facebook group that had been um, put together by fans of the festival who had come solo from all, all over the country, people that came alone and wanted to find other people that came alone to the festival. And they all rented out. There were like 15 or 20 of them 
they rented out two or three houses in the same neighborhood for, you know, Thursday to Monday. And basically all came in, you know, cold in terms of not knowing each other and left with this incredible, you know, new group of friends. And that's what music, you know, has the capacity to do as the capacity to sort of create community where there is none. Uh, because if, you know, if you like the kind of music that is at Moon River Festival, the chances are when you spend time with someone else who's also at the festival, you're probably going to have some pretty similar tastes and, and philosophies about life in general. And so mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to, to make new friends. And, and we've heard from that group that they're all coming back for year two and expanding their thing. And that's just like one little piece of the the things that can happen when you try to curate you know, a festival in a, in a sort of certain direction towards a certain town, a certain genre of music, while also sort of recognizing that there's a mass, massive amount of diversity within that genre. You know, within the city of Chattanooga, there's a ton of, you know, diversity in terms of what kind of food people want to eat and what kind of neighborhood they want to stay and where they want to stay in a hotel. And yet you, so you're kind of like directing and curating an experience, but you're not dictating it. You right. Know? And, and I think that what it comes down to, and it's something that we talk about a lot on this show, is uh, what are your values? What are What is your brand value? And a lot of times where I feel as though festivals get off track is that they, they lose sight on what their brand was supposed to be about to begin with, right? So at some point, you had to go from, uh, here are some bands and here are some uh, friends of ours that we want to just get together and um, you know have a show and you actually had to turn it into a brand and you had to turn it into something that uh, people attached themselves to that had all the same like-minded feelings that you did. Did you ever come up with maybe uh, what Moon River stood for, uh, what you wanted it to, to portray to the public, what you wanted them to get out of it aside from just a, a music experience? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, music in general is much more about, like, um, it's about sort of curating, or not curating, sort of about narrating your your life. And so mm-hmm. I, when I, what I think of when I think of Moon River is I think this is a weekend where people are coming to make pretty significant memories for themselves right. as individuals, but also for their friends and the people that they, you know, meet at the festival that they came to the festival with. I know we have about 20 or 30 friends that come every year and they set up a big area out in the field and they drink together all day and have Mm. pizza and talk about life. Sure. And I think, you know, music is about people sort of, you know, fighting the, the the loneliness of that life can sort of throw at you. And I think, you know, this music festival is about like, community and hope and, and, uh, you know, the, the common joy that we find in music. And it's a weekend of sort of that, that experience that hopefully carries with people, not just all year, but you know, their whole life. I can name 20 or 30 musical experiences I've had, whether they're festivals or certain shows or tours, and I can sort of tell you exactly what I felt in that moment. I'm talking to you on the phone. I'm walking past this poster. I saw Tom Petty at Red Rocks six months before he died. Whoa. And I took, I took nine friends for my 35th birthday. And we sat on the 50th row at Red Rocks, listening to Tom Payne and Heart Records play for two and a half hours. 
And almost every time I see those guys, we talk about that experience. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. We have and it's what brings friendship together, you know. We, uh, we have awesome. kind of moments. We have many of those moments for us. It was the Paul McCartney show at Bonnaroo. Um, oh, man, I was there. That was an awesome was night. Incredible. The, I had my, my uh, nine-month-old baby with us. That was her first big concert. Nice. Man, you didn't have that. first. You didn't feel that moment with me, Barry, at T-Pain last year? No, I didn't feel no, that. I felt something, <laughs> it but it wasn't thing. that. <laughs> the, uh, it's funny. We're probably, what, 15, 20 minutes in, um, and what haven't we talked about? Well, I'll tell you, you you just ex, you just espouse a whole bunch of of um, things about the festival making experience when you're coming to a brand. But what about? I would imagine those same values are instilled you as a singer songwriter. You probably come at, at making albums and music almost the same way. Oh yeah, I mean, hundred percent. Yeah, you, yeah. It's about the co- the collaborative experience of. You know, expressing your experience in life and, and hoping that that sort of public pronunciation of that as a song will get somebody else to another day. Yeah. Help I me. Mean, that's, you know? that's a literally it's, it says it in the name of your band and the, yeah, neighbors. We're the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I didn't ask my question, right? We're, we're 20 minutes in and there's a topic we haven't brought up. Oh, what is it? The lineup. Oh yeah, good point. The lineup, which yeah. I think is important, because well, I'm, not, I'm not there yet, Dan. I, well, Drew, but that's what no, I still got, we've gone we the lead who, with what, that. where, and why, and I've got so many other questions before we get to the who. Drew, I'm, I'm being, I'm joking about this because what we've learned in doing this podcast now for a year and a half is the lineup is not nearly as important as people think. It's right. these experiences right. that we're talking about, but oh, for sure. Um, yeah, but you, you do have a pretty strong lineup. Um, we do, we do. Jason Isbell, Brandy Carlisle, uh, St. Paul. I mean, you guys are playing. Uh, you're we're uh, you're joining with being joined with Johnny Swim, right? And uh, yep, um, Wood Brothers, Moon Taxi. Yeah, um, Bella. Yeah, it's really good. And we kind of we kind of joked you and I did a while ago. Um, that first one here in Chattanooga sold out in eight hours, and the second one uh, had to go overnight. Were you were you worried? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not worried. I was still. It's funny though, uh, Paul, my my manager and partner from this in the beginning. You know, he's funny. He's like, man, we didn't we didn't do it as fast. I'm like, Paul, we just sold out a festival in 19 hours. <laughs> yeah, mm, you yeah, need we, to relax. Yeah, <laughs> tough living, yeah. boy. You guys really have it hard. Uh, I sold out a festival in two days. Whoa. It took two days. I was worried. Yeah, yeah I'm we kidding. Laugh that next. Yeah, so day. it's totally sold out. And, and when it came to Chattanooga, sold out. I think the backstory, if you don't know, but uh, the backstory is when you came to Chattanooga, it sold out in in about twenty five minutes. And then this second year in Chattanooga, sold out in two days, whatever, something like that. Uh, any ideas that you guys have for the future to to make it even bigger, to increase the footprint, or do you feel really comfortable in the lane that you're in? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to speak for the whole team, but my perception is that we really like what we've got going on. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing to add, the park, the park is is the park. You know, you can't really build a bigger park in that spot, and so that's part of what makes it so magical. Well, I've um, got an idea about. I've got a very good idea about a stage on the water. On the water. Let me uh, tell you about this idea. <laughs> <Both stage. laughs> well, the other thing that's it's notable about it is it's what sixty percent of the uh, fans last year and this year are out of towners, right? 
That's right. That gets yeah. to that whole curated thing and bringing people to town and and uh, mm-hmm. um, I mean, all that's just really interesting. Yeah. For people who don't know, what you guys did is it's it's an open park. It's a public park. It had never had a gated, ticketed event. There in is there a before. walking bridge above it. Correct. You could you literally can just walk over the event. Right. Yeah. So which I'm guys, sure causes yeah. you guys a lot of headaches. By the way, I can't <laughs> imagine. That's- but you guys with AC and our city and our public works all came together and figured out not only how to gate it, but you built a waterfall that became the entrance. Uh, you put just two stages up. You built a swing that hangs under that bridge. I mean, it was it, you took advantage of what was there and changed what you needed Uh Again, we right. going to keep see, saying that curated thing. See, this is so. So let me, uh, Drew, and I hate to to make this about me, but it's my favorite topic. Um, the uh, <laughs> so I've got this dumb little event that I do with my radio station called the Running of the Chihuahuas, and we essentially, uh, you know, have created Disney World for two hundred racing Chihuahuas every year, right? So I get two hundred. Oh I know. So over twelve years, it's grown from twelve dogs in my parking lot to two hundred Chihuahuas racing at the First Tennessee Pavilion. And along the way, we decided to add music and and uh, start curating some sort of like music festival atmosphere. Even though it's just a day, and then the, the artists are usually top forty artists. But mm-hmm. the, just just the fact that those five hours of my day, my year, take up five months of my year, five hours yeah. equate to five months, uh, and I don't have to deal with a thing that you guys deal with. I tell you, the the thing that I would love if I was you would be exactly what you do. You play a little bit. You host a little bit, you get to make a lineup, and then when you get on site, you get to create something, right? You get to be creative, right. and almost budgets can just be whatever you want them to be if the idea is good enough. That, to me, sounds like the dream job. That sounds like exactly what I've, I've ever wanted to do. The more, the most that we talk about, me, me and Barry, about Bonnaroo, it's usually about things like plumbing, yeah. You know, just how how water lines get how from. How does this work? Yes, yeah, it yeah. is fascinating to me. So when you had to start putting all this stuff together, and you were taking month after month after month of your of your year, what was the one thing that you didn't think of that hits you? Is like, oh my god, I never knew that I needed blank. Yeah, well, m- most of those those things were in the Memphis years, so. Um, and and to be honest. It was more about what we got to Chattanooga and I learned that what AC does. And I went to myself, I can't believe we didn't do blank when ah. we were in Memphis. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's you how, know, that's how the big like, boys do right. it. Right. <laughs> that's how. Right. It was like, oh, wow, that's how you deal with, like, the threat of weather. Like, they had these, you know, contracts with, you know, the National Weather Service to, you know, track lightning and all this. Kind of, Paul and I, Memphis, are like looking at AccuWeather on our phone. You know? <laughs> yeah, I I start looking at the thirty day forecast. Yeah, I'll be okay here. I'll be fine. Yeah, right. You know, or uh, yeah, like I remember year one in Memphis. It was it was in in, in the heat of the summer. It was in, it was in uh, August, and you know we we, we knew we had, had like two thousand people coming, so we bought like four thousand bottles of water. You know. Oh no! Oh no! Well, those were gone by. Those were gone by 10 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite, my favorite story from that, that first year was my wife was, um, we had a seven month old. So 2013, she's, she's, uh, in the sort of office that we have behind the stage. And about that 10 a.m., we run out of ones. We ran out of ones. And sorry about that. We just, uh, 
a lot that's of okay. kids stuff going on in the house. That's okay. We're running out of ones like 10 a.m. and all it's a, it's a Saturday and all the banks are closed, so we have no way to get all this cash. Well, my wife's sitting there holding the seven month old in this room, and she's like, "Isn't there like a, a a dog racing like casino on the other side of the river?" <laughs> and so Ellie gets in the car with the baby with five hundred dollars uh, in big bills and rushes to the dog park and comes back with 500 ones from the casino so that we can keep selling food for the rest of the day. That's a problem solver. Damn. That's good stuff. You know I don't what know. I mean? So like, those are the kind of things that you just don't prepare for. You're like, yeah, we had like $300 worth of change. Well, when you have 2000 people buying, you know, $4 beers or $8 beers, whatever they were, you need a lot of ones. That's pretty great. What was it like that Saturday night? Um, because Ellie left Sunday morning, right, or that Saturday night uh, last she left year. Su- Sunday night after Head and Heart. Yeah. Okay, so that. No, no, you're right. She left after Head and Heart Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I ran into you guys that night. You. So were, this is last year. Ed last Moon year, you were having sort of a quiet moment, which you know, being the professional I am, I interrupted and and probably ruined <laughs> probably ruined for you. But you seemed extremely relaxed, and I, I think I remember Ellie saying something like she was just so proud to have seen you know to be able to be backstage and see what it had become. What was that like? Because here you like we had said earlier, you gave up control, you moved it to a town. I mean, there had to have been some questions you know going into it. Plus, you had a wife that was twelve months pregnant. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my, my, honestly, my main concern at that point was, you know, she, her due date was like the following Thursday. I had the show on Friday, the VIP thing at the Walker theater. And then we had our set on Saturday night before the head and the heart. And as soon as we got done, I just was felt immediate relief. Cause I was like, okay, if she goes into labor now, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to be on stage. You know, I'm good. So there was just like a lot of personal relief there, but yeah, see, I mean, standing side stage at Head and Heart, you know, the first three years I headlined every night, it was very much sort of, you know, me and, and my fans and our thing. And I right. think, you know, once we moved to Chattanooga and grew the, the lineup and grew the location, I definitely sort of had to let go of it. There was an ego thing, you know, like I had to kind of let go of like, hey, this isn't just about like me and my career and being able to say I headlined my own festival. It's like, no, I just <laughs> actually curated a festival and I don't even headline it. I just, you know, part of the, the bigger story. Taking that chance was like, before it happened was certainly um, there's a lot of, you know, sort of psychology and philosophy in my own brain about that decision and to sit side stage and see the crowd sing along to head and heart. And they had all been there for our set too. And you well, know, same thing the next day with Jude and the lion and David brothers, it just felt like incredibly satisfying. Well, to that's take a chance to make a change and have it work. And that's what I was going to ask you psychologically, big picture. Are you most proud of something that you curated and watched grow and develop almost like a child? Or you're more proud of the best album that you ever wrote? I'm still more proud of the, the best album I ever wrote. Okay. Yeah. All right. How about that? Because the music is essentially the, the, the thing that drives it all. I guess my new my new bucket list is to build my career to such a point that I can headline my own festival. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You moved to the back or middle of the line, didn't yeah. you? Move. <laughs> yeah, my name's on the it. door, guys. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, like man, it. Drew, I, I can't, I can't say uh, how excited we were to talk to you. It's been a, a lot of fun, and congratulations on all the success. And and as a Chattanoogan, I couldn't thank you enough. And I don't speak for the city, but I, I, I think that we all feel the same. Thank you so much for taking a chance on Chattanooga. You know, for somebody who took a chance to stay here for 20 years uh, it's nice that it's nice to see the city grow around me and i feel like i was on the the the, the foundation level of it and uh watching people take chances on it the way that i took a chance on it 
feels really, really good. And um, boy, we can't thank you enough for it, man. Yeah, let me well, add yeah, on that. Yeah. It, 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 I don't know if anyone has ever specifically told you or explained, but I mean, the when it was announced and then when it happened, it it feels like a big, big moment in the city where a hump was was. Yeah, we, we moved over a hump. You know, like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, oh, I equate. Really cool. I equate it to for a long time. Chattanooga was wearing its dad's clothes, and finally we grew up and we could buy our own suit now. Yeah. You know, we don't have to wear the hand me downs anymore, and it feels like we we put on our big boy pants and our and our big clothes, and we're finally starting to go out into the world. And, yeah. You know, get our driver's license. And- I think that's right. We, we- <laughs> Well, that's that certainly feels, from my perspective, like overstating it. But I, I'm I'm honored to hear that it's that it's meant a lot to the city, and we feel uh, the same. You know, I feel like I've been able to put on my big boy pants, passing the torch on, um, and, and moving it there and having it be there. And so it's it's a mutual affection. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Hopefully, Drew. we'll uh, maybe maybe we'll see about you going to come to Bonnaroo this year. I might. There's pretty a lot of friends on that list and a lot of good shows. I'm, right. I've got a couple days penciled in. Well, you got you got a spot of Camp Nut Butter to camp anytime you want because I know you're going right. to be very hurting for lodging. I'm, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. You got a home in Chattanooga for Moon River, and you got a home in Manchester for Bonnaroo. Uh, one of the artists appearing at Bonnaroo, by the way. Thanks again to Drew Holcomb. That was a really great chat, and I I feel like we learned a lot. It's a nice perspective to uh, put on to Bonnaroo and how massive an operation it is versus uh, a 10,000 festival, 10,000 person festival. It's quite amazing. Uh, now, going to Bonnaroo, you know, you have a dream and you're an artist that shows up. We heard it from Paul Janeway last year when we talked to St. Paul and the Broken Bones. He went to Bonnaroo and said, all I want to do is make it to that stage to be in this festival, to have my name on a lineup. And uh, this year we found another... Newbie. We found another Bonnaroo former patron that now is turned into a spot on the poster. Patron to poster, if you will. <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? it? It's one of those things that I don't think you know going in. You don't watch for it, but now right. that we've done it a lot, enough times, we can look back and see, you know, the Moon Taxi guys, Avid Brothers, all those, as we've said many times, that, uh, you know, this was a dream, a high school kid's a high school dream. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, here they are. Here they are. Illiterate light. Luckily, they made some time for us. Uh, I don't know how. I know that we're, we're just a lonely old radio show in, in Chattanooga, but uh, we got to talk to Literate Light a few days ago. All right. Hey, Barry. How are you? So thanks for talking to us, man. We're here, we're talking to Absolutely. you for two reasons. One, you're coming to The Signal next month, our, one of our local venues, but also uh, added to the Bonnaroo lineup. So you guys got a lot happening. Yeah, man. The Who stage. We're excited about that. Yeah, we're all, uh, where all careers begin, the Who stage of Bonnaroo. <laughs> Uh, now, have you ever, uh, Jake? Have you ever been to Bonnaroo before? Yeah, I have actually. Uh, really? I'm trying to remember exactly what year, but uh, I think right around 2009. Whoa. I was. Uh, it was right after my freshman year of college, and uh, that was. It's like the one time that me and a few of my cousins went out on a limb and uh, drove out to a festival and. Yeah. Did, well, did the, had the whole experience. Man. Well, 2009 was uh, Bruce Springsteen, Fish, Beastie yep. Boys, Nine Inch Nails. Is that the year you were there? That, I, I, it was definitely Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that was it then. Yeah. A bunch. yeah, that was it. So, um, so you got you are you went to the last show that Fish did at Bonnaroo, and now you're yeah. playing the festival with their triumphant return to Bonnaroo. There's the oh, dude, that's pretty incredible. There I, you yeah, go. I, I remember. I wasn't at the time a, a, a big Fish fan, but I remember that being a really exciting moment and like going and and seeing the show and just seeing how, like 
the massive amount of people that were just out of their minds and and being like, oh man, this is a this is an experience here. This this, this is something something to behold. Yeah. Where did you guys come from? Where'd you drive in from? Uh, we're from Virginia, um, okay. and that's where that's where I was went to college in uh, JMU in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Yes, I know a lot of people that went to JMU. I'm I'm from Richmond, so uh, JMU oh, is incredible. like yeah, JMU is like where all the kids went that uh, didn't want to stay home. <laughs> exactly. That's a good one. yeah. I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside of DC, and it was the same story. It was like. If you're from Virginia and you're you're going to college, you're trying to get out and get to either JMU or Virginia Tech, or if you've got the grades to go somewhere else, that's yeah. fine. But well, well, I had I had none of that, so I tried to go to VCU. <laughs> uh, so sure, sure. <laughs> um, had you guys done a festival before? Uh, has Has the Literary Light done a festival? Is no, no, no. Had, had you your friends? I'm trying to get uh, this whole idea oh, of oh. you know going from you being a fan to now you're going to play it. I'm, I'm, I want to. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that, no. Yeah. I, I, at that point, when I was uh, when I was freshman in in college, that was my no. You know, I'm trying to think. I, I think in high school, I did in Baltimore. There was a few years that I went to Virgin Mobile Festival, um, which which was a, an insane lineup for. Yeah, the, it was like the 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 first concert I ever went to was there, uh, and it was like Wolf Mother. It was before they broke, and they were playing like. Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. and that was like my first concert ever, nice. and I was just like, "Whoa, this is this is a pretty wild experience." And then um, Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Police and all kind of all kind of crazy people on that tour or on that uh, festival. And then I think, this, but that was like close enough to home that I think we just drove in for the day. Bonnaroo was the first time. It was like me and some friends and and cousins just like camping on our own, you know, figuring that's, out the whole, like, thing and how yeah, to get that's, there. And, that's a long drive from JMU, man. That's a long yeah, drive. Absolutely. Uh, you you must have had, like, what got you, what hooked you to say, we want to go to Bonnaroo? You know, I mean, I, I think we had just, I, I, one of my cousins was from Alabama, and so she was a little closer and had a friend that had gone a year before, um, and there were a few bands playing that year mm-hmm. that um, I had kind of like been tracking with. Um, I think there was some uh, right beforehand, like I think I'd already bought the tickets well before this, but um, I really had fallen in love with Dirty Projectors. Right. They had a, they were playing that year and it was like, I saw them play in DC and then like two days later saw them at Bonnaroo. Um, and same with TV on the radio, uh, yeah, yeah. and just like a number of number of bands that I was just like in love with were playing. So, so Bonnaroo was like a pretty easy choice for me at that 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 stage of something yeah. that's kind of within eight hours and has every band I want to see right. And, and frankly, right now. And frankly, Jake, let's be honest with each other. You were probably twenty one. You didn't give a damn. You know, <laughs> it didn't Party, matter. I don't Party, think I was. Where? I think I was sixteen. <laughs> I was 19 and and doing some of my first experimenting with uh, alcohol and marijuana. So. Nice. Do any what? Of, <laughs> Cut this I was interview a late now. Bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> do any of the other I, have do you to your knowledge have any other guys in the band been to Bonnaroo before? No, it's just it's just me and Jeff, and he has not been to Bonnaroo. Okay. So what are you so, telling him about it? It's, you know, I, I I feel like we we've heard that as a as artists coming in, it's a pretty 
pretty wild experience, but we we're kind of just gonna ride in and and soak up the whole thing. And yeah, I don't I don't have a lot of information. I I, I remember it being quite a uh, quite a large festival and in a place where I, I certainly had the the bands I wanted to see, but then spent a lot of time just wandering around and. I feel like we'll do the same thing this time. Are you staying? The, are you staying the whole four days, or are you just doing the day that you have to play? Are you in getting out? We're we're still doing some routing around that time period with our agent, uh, so we're not quite sure yet. Okay. So, um, so so tell yeah. me so tell me about the band. Tell me uh, about you guys in in general. It's just the two piece, right? It's it's guitars and drums, huh? Yep, that's the basic. I'm I'm playing drums, and I'm, I'm playing a standing drum kit. That's kind of a weird version of of a regular drum kit that I kind of just pieced together for this band. And then Jeff is playing guitar and he's also playing a synthesizer with his feet that's playing a, it's a it's a bass synthesizer. Kind of looks like an organ foot pedal. And he's singing lead, I'm singing harmony with him and we're both front center stage just giving it all we got the whole time. So it, pretty fun pretty fun thing to be a part of. It seems to me like you guys are pretty intense on stage. We like to go for it. We, we, yeah. love, we love rock, rock energy, rock music. That's kind of what we grew up like. I grew up listening to so many, so much weird stuff, but the, the point where Jeff and I really meet in our uh, history of music is just, you know, loving the energy of getting in people's faces and feeling the, the whole, the, the, the crowd kind of pushing back against us and you know, that, that's kind of like what we, what we kind of are seeking out with these shows, I think. What what was it like for you guys getting the call that you were going to be doing the what stage and, and sort of where does it fit in the, the career path or career list of go, goals? Yeah, man, we had, we had, we were kind of like hopeful for, you know, the season is a lot of changes for us going on and starting to work with a booking agent, starting to work, you know, we've been a, Jeff and I have been in a few other bands together for the last eight to 10 years of our friendship. We've been in other bands, we've run a farm together. We, we've pretty much been close friends and partners on so many projects. Uh, and this, this Illiterate Light has been three years of just like pedal to the metal, everything into this project. Uh, and with just him and I, really simplified a lot of stuff. But yeah, so, so we've been doing everything ourselves up until just very recently bringing some, some team members on board, management, and learning how to work with different people like that. And so it's the first time that we've even been on the radar of, like, could we play a Bonnaroo stage? Like, that's insane. Wow. And to, to get the, yeah, to go from, you know, last year at this time, I'm sending out hundreds of emails trying to get a single response from any venue across the country to play any show to and now, like, man, somebody is, you know, somebody wants us to play Bonnaroo. That's that's a mind-blowing. It still hasn't really sunk in, I guess, especially since I experienced that. At like, that yeah, was, I don't and, know. When I, was, when I was 19 was sort of when I really was like, man, music is so important to my life. But I don't know. I'm in college. I don't know if it's what I, I, I'm not studying music. I don't know how to be a rock musician. I'm right. just going to, like enjoy it but there were some bands at that time that were really kind of speaking to me as a as like man I, I could do that like i think i think i want to do that or i could do that and i didn't know how to form it but that was definitely a big thought going on for me at bonnaroo well so um, how did you so how did you form it how did you get from point a to point b i think it's it's like music has always kind of been a part of my it, i've, I've kind of had to drum and had to write songs to get through a lot of stuff going on in my life it's been a, a great uh 
thing to be involved in, whether it was like high school marching band or forming my own rock band. It was just something I always put a ton of energy into. Um, and my, my father is a painter, like a, a, a visual artist. And he, he's been able to support our family by just being an, an artist for our, our whole life. And that's, that's a really inspiring thing for me yeah. to have a, a father who is super artistic but able to also present the like, sanity of, right. I need to do this in a way that's going to support my family. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I love, but I'm also a sane human. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know. Like, he, I got a lot of encouragement throughout college from my family to, yeah, like, you know, study something, in, you know, something that would lead to a job. I studied health science and I worked as an EMT for a while. In the midst of that, I, I loved that and I loved that work, but uh, I had a, a lot else going for me in the sense of, I don't know, getting the idea of being in a hospital setting for the rest of my life started to become, I started to become really claustrophobic. It doesn't sound like a hospital. It sounds, starts to sound like a prison. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it gets a little scary. So, yeah, I, I remember a very vivid number of shows. Um, actually, that the Dirty Projectors show in D.C. that then led to me going to Bonnaroo and then seeing another Dirty Projector show where this band called The Givers opened for them. Yeah, we know the Givers. And it was just, it was like uh, a few just, like, a few moments in those shows, that string of shows where I was just like, there's something special about music that I don't, quite know how to describe but that and it, like and it pushed you to just go for it yeah like okay. it, it wasn't right away it wasn't like a now i'm gonna be a rock musician <laughs> but it was like hey i'm already all of my free time is going into bands you know writing music booking shows doing whatever just because i love it and it's sort of like that was also right around when i was meeting jeff he he was in a similar he's kind of since he was eight years old wanted nothing more than to, to play music for a living mm. Um, so he, he's everything for him has kind of been like barreling towards that. So we kind of met each other at, at a time where both of us were really looking for that and not, not finding the right people uh, like Dan Harrisonburg or, uh, at JMU. It was like, there's a lot of good musicians here, but there's, there's something about the, the level of drive and clarity that both of us had when we met that just sort of, it was like, Hey, this isn't going to happen overnight, but we're kind of going to be in this together for a while. Or, or, or are you, are you okay with that? And right. we sort of so, took off at that point. So with, with that in mind, um, and it may be too early to tell, cause I imagine you just got the word, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but getting this gig, what does that do? Does that, does that now be like, uh, Hey, we, we can do this and all in. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it, it really legitimizes a lot of, you know, the, the, the effort that we're putting in. Um, but it's also just like, it still hasn't quite sunk in yet. You know, like we, we also got, uh, we're, we're playing a small stage at Lollapalooza. We're playing shaky knees. These are some like big level festivals that we're just like, every time we, we hear that that's happening for us, it's like, man, that's a, that's a whole different <laughs> size of crowd that like, we're so excited to feel the energy of how does our music spread out over that, that space. And, you know, we, and we played some smaller festivals, but, but yeah, that's it, like a, just a different, it's different to see our name. Like right. 
we love we love seeing our name as the tiniest little thing on this massive poster, right. you know, headlined by the the bands that are our heroes. Right, and the, like, and the best part, and the and the and the best part of it all is that you you get to share that experience that uh, you one time had to share as a fan. You now get to share it as as you know, feeling legitimized as an artist. That's got to be incredibly incredibly um, rewarding. So. Man, congratulations and, and good luck on all of it. And by the way, you've got some hell of a booking agent, that's for sure. You got some hell of a booking <laughs> yeah, they're, agent. Yeah, they're working. They're working their butts off for us. Right yeah. Now, so we, well, we, well, we're by the very way, grateful for their work. You've done you've done a pretty nice job at listening to you talk about your story. You've done a pretty masterful job uh, explaining to maybe a kid who's listening to this podcast exactly how uh, you can possibly do it and get to Bonnaroo uh, and do and become and become an artist yourself and do exactly what Jake's doing. And by the way, get the name of his booking agent. Yeah, uh, right. Do all right, the things that he out. did and get his booking agent. It'll help yeah, there you monstrously All right. the team the team really matters but yeah man jake, show up. jake we can't wait yeah. to see a bonner Hopefully thanks so we much can, man we can meet you you're welcome at camp nut butter backstage behind the witch stage any day buddy awesome hey i, I love to hear it drew holcomb to illiterate light now to you the bonneruvian uh, welcome to the what podcast again that's barry quarter i'm brad steiner and uh, over the past few weeks uh, since we started the podcast we've been giving you a chance to win tickets uh, to Bonnaroo with a camping pass, and all you had to do was just say hello to us or drop a comment at thewhatpodcast.com or on Twitter or on the Podbeam or a review. It didn't matter. We put all your names into a big uh, big hat, and it's time to actually pull the winner and uh, give them a surprise phone call. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very exciting, and uh, I think uh, she'll be able to find a home for these two tickets. Who, who, are, we, who, who are we calling? Celeste Edge. Celeste. All right, let's do it. Hi, Celeste. Hey there. Is this Celeste? It is indeed. Hi, Celeste. Brad's Steiner, Barry Corder from the What Podcast. How are you, dear? I am great. How are you guys? Oh, doing fine, Porcupine. We're just so many, so few days away from Bonnaroo. It feels like uh, when we look up, we're going to be, um, you know, knee deep in the middle of summer in a field in Manchester together. Uh, you, uh, you sent us a, you sent us a note too a little while ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, Barry, what did it say? That's what I was just looking for. Oh, unprepared, <laughs> unprofessional, and unprepared. Yeah, there it is. Whatever you are. Well, I would have memorized it, but it's about 55 pages long. Okay. So it's a book. It's, it's a literally book. a book. She would, you like a, would you like a job at the Chattanooga Times Free Press? Yeah, I get paid by the word. <laughs> she liked, I uh, was listening to AJR. Okay. She likes, uh, what are we, what are we talking about? Uncomfortable inf- incident with a wolf spider. See, oh, is that you, right? You found the, the the third bug ever at Bonnaroo. Then, yeah. huh? at this point, at this point, a bug is a headliner. Uh, there's so few. Of them. So, what happened with the wolf spider? Oh gosh! So we had a um, we have a like a changing shower potty tent, um, and one was definitely just chilling in there. Sure. <laughs> Hanging out. I mean, the um, scenery. The scenery's great, yeah. right? Um, I don't know. We have to. We chase them out of our spot. Like the wolf spiders. Like when we get there, we that day. We Wednesday. We have to chase them out of our spot. But they're really? pretty much gone. Like, yeah, it's it, it it's rough over there in group camping with the spider. So you. So you. This is something you've seen before. Wolf spiders, yeah. Wow. Just about okay. Every year. The reason I say that is because you know we have gone on time and time again on this show, basically saying that we've never seen a bug at Bonnaroo. No. They must do something I mean, to like coat the entire 
farm with some sort of pesticide that I don't know. Nobody's actually gone on the record to say it. I think maybe the, the, the noise also sort of runs them off. But uh, it's they're not bad after the first day, but that first day out in the campgrounds, the wolf spiders are everywhere. Wow. Wow. That oh. is surprising. <laughs> yeah, all we've ever had is the skunk. <laughs> yep. Just the skunk. Random well, skunk. Well, I, you know what? I'll take a wolf spider over a skunk yeah, any it was, day. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those moments where, I think I told the story before, but it was one of those moments where you're just sitting at camp and just watching it come closer and closer and closer to you. There's nothing you can do. Right. Literally nothing you can do. <laughs> nothing we could do, and it... Like I said, it could have gone very badly. Yeah, <laughs> for really all, the whole weekend. Um, yeah. So, so uh, what are you excited about this year? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you've been several times. You always use group, I guess. Yes, I do. Nice. Um, I'm. Well, one of the, the 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 biggest things I'm excited about is reuniting with my Bonnaroo family. Of course. Because there's a bunch of us. Um, and we come from all over the place. Yeah. Um, but thanks to Bonnaroo, we've started hanging out with each other on the off season and traveling to visit each other. So that's always number one for me is seeing the family. Um, I'm one of those people who jump on the tickets, like the pre-sale tickets, before the lineup even comes out. Sure. Um, because, you know, at the top of my lineup is, is, is the Bonnaroo fam. Um, but musically this year, uh, Odessa... Um, a lot of people are um, bummed that they're bringing their same show that they've been touring for a while, but um, I don't want to be selfish, but I've never seen it, so I'm excited. Yeah. That's the um, uh, that's that Jim James and John Prine slot, though. That doesn't cause you any... It is. It is. Well, I didn't get into MMJ until uh, the last time they were at Bonnaroo, um, so I'm not, I'm not deep, deep into them, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Um, I discovered Donna Missile, actually, because you guys mentioned her at the end of one of your episodes. Yeah. So I was like, hey, I'll check her out, and I'm super stoked about her. Yeah, she's got a great um, I voice, might actually, man. I might try to get on the rail for that for the first time in my Bonnaroo career. Is she in a tent? Where is she? She is. Wow, I think okay. she's in this tent, maybe. Okay. I thought, I for some yeah. reason, I thought that she was going to be a cafe. Artist, but yeah, they put her on a tent. Look at that! And b- yeah. believe me, it's it's an early enough show. You'll be fine getting on the rail. I don't think you're gonna have you'll be fighting the crowd <laughs> at the Donna Masol yeah. show. Although she's got a great voice, <laughs> that voice is really superb. It is powerful. Yeah. Well, we uh, I I. What other years were, have you been to Bonnaroo? By the way. Um, I started coming in 2014, and I haven't missed a year since. So this will be year six for me. And how many in the group? Um, all all of my years I've camped in group camping, um, but and, as, and how many, as a whole group, um, we've been together for four years. How many of you? Um, at the core, there's probably about 25 of us. Really? Um, yeah, but we um, each wind up bringing newbies in um, every year, so I think this year we're up to 37 or 38. Did you maybe? meet Did you meet them all at Bonnaroo, or did you... Are they all well, people that you've known for years? I will try to make this as short as possible. <laughs> We've got it's a um, podcast. In, we got all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 2014, um, that was the first year I decided I was going to go to Bonnaroo, and um, some acquaintances from town um, had gotten a group spot, but didn't realize they needed to fill it with 24 people in order to meet the minimum and keep it. So. Um, they wound up recruiting me and a, and a close friend of mine, 
and her and I joined them, but we wound up having to combine with another group that didn't meet the 24-person minimum. Um, and through that, we had gotten some, we got uh, in touch with some girls from InfoRoo who were looking for a, a group to camp with. Sure. And um, so they were from Ohio. We're from Georgia. We linked up with some people from Pennsylvania. And um, we had our 24. And all of us didn't wind up coming back the next year, but my, myself and my friend that came with me and then um, – some of the, the girls we found on InfraRoo wound up making a group the following year. And so awesome. we we failed to meet the minimum, so we combined with another group, a bunch of wacky Canadians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we wound up keeping some of those Canadians for the following year. Um, and so the so Canadians made just, the cut. That's really good to know. They did. They did. Um, so we just kind of, that kept on throughout the years. And then finally, I think it was three years ago, um, we were struggling to meet the minimum, and I reached out to another group leader from Massachusetts, and she and I were, like, we were exactly alike. We have the same music tastes, and so her group and my group joined, and basically we meet our minimum every year just with us, wow. the, the cast of thousands from sure. Canada and Ohio and Georgia, and then her people from um Massachusetts, and she had a group from South Carolina, and that's awesome. We've got people from Wisconsin, and we're just from all over the place. So, um, and we're like all pretty much best buds now, just because of Bonnaroo. What are some good do's and don'ts for group camping? What what kind of thing gets you uninvited or makes you <laughs> first being Canadian? popular uh. come back. <laughs> yeah, I just want to I mean, you know, it's you putting a bunch of people together is always such a tricky thing to, for everybody to get along. But what are what are some things you've learned that, you know, that work um, and don't work? Well, do bring things to share. Like um we try to have like we we attempt every year to have a potluck on Wednesday night. We call it Rue Year's Eve. Um because we all get to, we all try to get there Wednesday night and so we all bring food to share. We never wind up doing it cuz we all get weird in the entrance line and so we all don't get there at a normal hour um so throughout the weekend we wind up just snacking on all of the food that we brought for the potluck that was supposed to be on wednesday um and do also try to carpool as best as you can um with the thing with group is they give you one car parking pass um for every three people in your group so hmm. basically it only works if everybody's coming three or more to a car. Right. So you gotta you gotta get as many people into one car as possible. Um and then also, you know, just like don't be a don't be a space hog. Um oh. don't bring a bunch of unnecessary stuff because oh. we're <laughs> Yeah, we're out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're all about we, the I square mean, footage. I bring, well, I mean, I, my, my easy up is 10 foot by 20 foot. Yeah. Um, nice. But the half of it is dedicated to, like, um, making the, quote, living room space that we all kind of share sure. throughout the weekend. So, you know, just do try to be considerate of how much stuff you bring. Um, I, again, I bring a lot. I'm one of those people who, like, want to be prepared for every possible situation that can arise. Yeah, me so too. I bring but, a lot but, of stuff. But, but unfortunately, all the situations that arise are 800 square feet of carpeting, uh, two couches, some potted plants, uh, mirror. a mirror. Oh, I've got <laughs> full length mirror. We've got we've got some we've got some 
carpet. We've got an RV mat that goes down. But we uh, we share. We we do a very good job of organizing and sharing our like our living space. Um, so we're just sort of one big happy family in a compound all weekend. Well. We, uh, I, I love to hear it, and uh, what's even better is uh, we're really happy to tell you that uh, your group will be uh, two, with two more people this year because you were the name <laughs> that we drew for the tickets this year. So congratulations. congratulations. You just won a pair of tickets to Bonnaroo. What? Yes. Yeah, I hope you can oh find two gosh. more people. There you go. Oh, my gosh. Your group camper, That's amazing. Your, your group camping just got uh, added by two. Just got uh, hey, well, two more people. Oh, gee, well, I thought you meant that you guys were going to come join, and I was we, like, well, we got space. Yeah. No, <laughs> you, you get the after, after all of the uh, entries, and boy, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of entries, uh, we picked your name out of the hat. So congratulations, dear. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. And we can't wait to uh, meet you at Bonnaroo and uh, hopefully... Um, you know, get get to kick it for with you for a little while. By the way, because you know we have so many people out in group now that we want to go see. Yeah, if it seems to me like that's where, where we got to be. Absolutely, dude, you really got to come check it out. Like a lot of stuff goes down there. Super group and Redaru, they they are do some pretty amazing stuff with their setup. That's awesome. So. I'm gonna be so jealous. I'm gonna be so jealous. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for keeping the Bonnaroo spirit You're alive, and, and congratulations. Thank you, guys. All right, there you go. Celeste, Illiterate Light, Drew Holcomb, Barry Corder, Brad Steiner. I mean, that's a top line. Another award-winning. Yeah, another award-winning episode. What awards have we won? I think I don't know. I'm gonna you you make one up for me, and I'll make one okay. up for you, and then we'll be award-winning. We'll be podcasting. That's Barry Corder. I'm Brad Steiner. We'll talk to you next week on the What Podcast. Hey, the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year? That matter. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corner.